Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director in the studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. In this show today, I will share the tip of the week about flowing with all the changes that are upon us in life as we move back to a certain kind of a normalcy or what we call normal. And then I will share with you how to go from negative automatic thoughts to positivity. And I'm excited to bring you Dr. Mark Mincola. He's a nutritional therapist and a quantum energy healer who was transformed um, who transformed the lives of more than 60,000 patients over the last 35 years. Um, he has authored seven international best-selling books to date. He's been all over the media. And um, today we'll be talking about his latest book, The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Subconscious and Superconsciousness. Accessing your super consciousness, and we will talk about what he means by miracles and super consciousness and gives you tips in how to do that. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast and connect with me through Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn, all of them with Dr. Fujian Zane. I love to hear from you, but first, here's the tip of the week. the tip of the week. We are on the verge of another shift in our lives. With the summer being here, vaccinations being offered to everyone and trips being planned, we are getting the sense that life is coming back to normal. Beyond feeling excitement for opportunities for having fun and entertainment such as traveling and dining out, there is also the anguish and the stress of having our kids go back to school, for us to go back to our office, open businesses, find jobs that are more suitable for us, socialize with people who we have not seen for more than a year or so on. Change is not easy, even when we want it and create it, let alone for matters that we're not ready for. Resist or defy? Well, resistance to change creates frustration and anxiety and therefore anger. This anger shows up in any matter of the daily life. I've spoken with mothers who have been homeschooling their children and uh, for, for a year or more than a year. Although it was very hard for them, they have adjusted and now got kind of like the hang of it. Since in fall, they have to go back and driving their different children to different types of schools. Um, they're expressing difficulty, arranging, reapplying, modifying all that they have so far, they have to change. They also wonder about their kids getting sick again from other kids again while they were immune, while they were at home. Uh, one mother told me that um, their kids used to be kind of sick every two weeks at home when they were at school and throughout the whole past year, they never got sick. And the minute the first day they went back to school, they got sick and got the whole family sick again. 
I'm working with a man who was laid off through the pandemic. And this past year has been a stay home, uh, spending time with uh, a full, as a full-time father. He's anxious about searching in the corporate world for similar jobs. Since he was no longer satisfied with the, his profession, he no longer wants to work in the corporate world due to feeling stressed with the structures that are, you know, the de demand that the structure of the corporate world has. And he's interested in having a professional consulting business that he can work from home. He's scared, not motivated. He doesn't know how to create structure for himself, does not know how to move forward. A recent poll actually showed that 40% of employees no longer want to commute and are not going back to their jobs. They're home looking for remote jobs. These types of life changes brings a lot of instability, anxiety, and frustration for people. I spoke with a college graduate who was working in a low salary entry-level position. She got laid off and went on employment. Now she has to go back into a job market with the same entry-level position. She's resisting it. She's looking for a job um, since she has been earning more than that without any effort. So she has no idea what to do when she goes back. How can we flow with what life brings for us and how can we envision and pursue what we want in life? Resisting change creates more anguish and pain. The reality of the outside world will bring about circumstances that we may have never handled before and therefore may not have the skills for it. At times, we only look at what we don't like within the upcoming change and decide to resist it. We may like the sense of familiarity, even if it's not very comfortable, hence resist getting out of the status quo. The skill to assess what is changing is important. So let's explore. What needs to be changed? Look at your scenario and your life. What can change? Is there anything, is there any part of your life that you can continue just the way it is. Um, who would be affected in a positive or negative way if you flow with the change? Who would be affected in a positive or a negative way if you insist on keeping the same status quo exactly the way it is? What price do you have to pay for this change? What is the price if you keep the status quo? are the benefits of flowing with this change? And what are the benefits of keep resisting and keeping what is? What skills do you need for these changes? Now, allowing ourselves to envision the most successful way of being with the new parameters and outcomes, getting excited about what could be unfolding, having a wonder, a wow, and awe, all of that to like what would happen. Creating a new structure in our life. You know, newness doesn't need new structures or it won't uh, create, get created or get maintained. So creating new structures in our life to establish success. Asking for support from people who have succeeded in the path that we desire, that we envision. Selling the idea to ourselves. We can set the final goal, um, then break it up into stages. We can set up action plans toward those goals and stages and switch a schedule of them in our calendar. Let your calendar be your best friend. 
Now, all we need to do is then show up and follow the schedule that we created. Showing up is the important factor and then continuing to do that. For more information about envisioning, goal setting, go to my book, Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want. a question um, about how come we keep um, holding on to the negativity, whether we're in a relationship or a marriage or at work, um, or even throughout the day, we could be getting feedback from 10 people. We're going to remember the negative one and not the positive one. And how can we change that in so that we're not always stuck in the negativity? Well, our brain works in a way that is trying to um, save us, is trying to make sure that something that has been handled and has we've experienced, um, that it, if it was negative or it was detriment to our life or produced some sorts of negative emotions for us, um, or it might be danger for us to know how to handle it the next time, for us not to be surprised. Uh, and that is part of our survival game. And um, many of the experiences, emotional experiences come from our midbrain and um, it does uh, come through on automatic before even our consciousness is watching over the automatic thought based on something that showed up and it relates to a past experience, which could have been traumatic or could have been unpleasant, let's say. And we had it as a reference in our memory. Our system says, uh-oh, watch out. And we're constantly watching for any of those in order to protect ourselves and create safety and security. So yes, our automatic thoughts come from survival and safety and security, making sure that we're okay in any format. Now, some people um, also have associated uh, many of those aspects that even may look like that they're acting out um, or defending themselves. And it's like, well, maybe those are not automatic thoughts or not just that, but or even our coping mechanism are also become um, you know, automatic thoughts. So what happens to the frontal cortex? Now it comes in and kind of evaluates, looks at things. It's just that sometimes um, the experience that we have emotionally shows up much faster than we can be even aware of it. So the more that we practice in the awareness game through meditation, through practices that we're constantly looking at ourselves, watching our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors and the impact that we have, we become more proficient in um, knowing that the automatic thoughts come in and we can look at it, watch it and see if it's useful or it's not. What is it that we could do about it? And then how do I want to shift it, change it, refocus where I'm thinking, where it kind of like distract myself or put my intention and attention towards something else, which is positive, kind of opening up the lens to look at the bigger picture. So as I spoke with people who are 
fighting in their intimate relationship and they hold on to all the negative things that maybe they've said to each other for many, many years and kind of bypass all the good stuff that they've said to each other or the gifts they've given each other and um, hold on to those bad memories and keep bringing it to the present moment or even react in the present moment as if those things are coming. And whenever we talked about how come that past keeps coming, they're one, they're not complete with it. So they haven't conversed and really felt like they were heard and they could feel safe again in that environment and then making sure it never happens again. Um, when I've talked to people who are at work and they've gone through their grievances and they've talked to it and some they've actually been an agent of change in, in that system, but now they don't trust it and constantly looking as a, you know, being hypervigilant around it. So um, it's interesting that many times we do the things in order to change the negative things and change it into a positive thing and move forward, but we haven't let go of the negativity. So it does take some practice. And the practice is how, one, to be aware, put on the camera on yourself and look at your thought process. Two, really look at the automatic thought process that comes in, although they're automatic and you don't have any control over them, the part you do have control over them is now how to refocus. How do you do reality check? Do you re still need to think of it that way? Is there anything you need to do about it? And how can you refocus yourself into your growth, your strength, the positivity that is out there, learn skills to bring those skills into your life and shift yourself out of the negativity so that you're not stuck in it. The more you practice this kind of balancing the negativity and the positivity, and you'll see that you will uh, no longer, after practicing that, that the go-to would be only the negative thought. And even if the negative thought is the first thing that shows up, um, then you could see, do you really need protection in this area? Or you already got it and you can handle it. And then you can move on um, in trusting yourself that whatever shows up, you can handle, or if you don't, you will learn how to handle it and move forward. So first of all, know that the negative thought process is something that is normal and natural, but the part that is not normal and natural is the one you now keep at it and go and go for it and constantly like um, get it higher and higher and bigger and bigger and making yourself more miserable. That process is not normal. And that's the part. It might be normal for you, but it's not a healthy normal. So the part that you can actually do is to shift those thought process into um, a positivity. Now, the positivity, you could get help from books. You could get help from a lot of the spiritual mindedness uh, books and audiobooks and um, let's say podcasts. Uh, you can go through music and create that for yourself. You can look at the better version of you where you could go in and look at what is the best possible version of you and you can begin acting that um, from that place. You can begin looking at the best version of your mate and keep talking to that part of your mate um, or the work or gratitude and creating um, kind of like a blessing, feeling blessed about all of the things that you have. So practicing on the positivity, even though the negativity might show up for you as an automatic space.
Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Fujian Zain, and I am excited to uh, be with Dr. Mark Mincola. He is a nutritional therapist and quantum energy healer who has transformed the lives of more than 60,000 patients over the last 35 years. Through his innovative genius, he has integrated ancient Chinese energy healing techniques with cutting edge nutritional science in what he calls electromagnetic muscle testing, a one of a kind approach that zeroes in each individual's unique nutritional needs. Dr. Mincola was honored with the 2021 Divine Contribution to Humanity Award and at his movie um, was awarded the best health awareness film of 2021. He has authored seven inter international best-selling books. And to date, um, and Dr. Minkola has appeared in Dr. Oz, Better TV, WFXT, Fox 25, and KCBS in Los Angeles, along with numerous national TV and radio shows. And I'm honored to have him today. We're going actually to talk about his book, The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Super Consciousness. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, Dr. Mincoli, so a couple of uh, words uh, that if we can actually open them up first. So uh, our audience have an idea about uh, what you mean by these words. The first word that shows up, which is their book, is a miracle. What do you call a miracle? Well, I think a miracle is a divine response that actually we're not counting on, not expecting in many cases, but to produce transformational results. You know, over the past 37 years, I've seen 60,000 appointments. And I've had many patients who've had end-stage cancers, who've had complete recoveries. I've had many patients who've diagnosed with neurological conditions like Parkinson's and MS, asymptomatic. And again, the film has these people in the, in the, in the story, in, the, in the, the story line, if you will. So both the movie and the book, have a number of different patients that have had remarkable recoveries from exceedingly difficult situations that, that the world presently thinks are, are impossible to heal. But we had, we've, do, we've done the impossible. We've actually healed these people. So I call those miracles. And I think the key message here is we want the world to know that miracles aren't as far out or they're not as hard to attain. They're not as difficult to reach as we think they are. I think miracles are more common than we're aware of. And I think they need, the world needs to know about it. And, and tell me about super consciousness. When you say accessing your super consciousness, which is part of the title of your book, can you share what you mean by that? Yes, first of all, I think that when I say that miracles are more attainable, obtainable than we're aware of, and we can, we can reach them, but we can't reach them with our mundane self. So we have two, two different, distinctly different selves. We have a self that's actually personality, ego, material self, cellular self, physical self. We also have something that's divine, some, a self that's actually super conscious, as I like to say, that has the ability to, to operate from a soul level or a source level, if you will. And I just think that when we're operating at that deeper level with source, through source and soul, that's where miracles can be, can be obtained. That's where miracles can be created. That's where miracles exist. That miracles don't exist in the mundane level. So super consciousness is the key. So when you, when you meditate, you go into deep levels of meditation, deep levels, of, deep levels of relaxation. You eliminate a lot of the nervous energy, a lot of the noise I like to refer to it as. And by eliminating the noise, you get to hear the whispers of, of, of divine beauty. And I think that's what, that's what super consciousness helps us do. 
And when you talk about the uh, the quantum muscle testing, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about is, is you, uh, you do a measurement tool, measurement technique from the place of uh, you and uh, your patient checking in and asking the questions and the internal process uh, response. Is that what I'm uh, assuming? You're 100%, you're 100% correct. That's exactly right. And I think one of the most important components of that is establishing what we call the root, the root. So I say there's a causal root for everything. And many cases, what the world of medicine tends to do is just treat all the symptoms separately. And I think it's really important to tap into the causal root and to treat the root, because if you treat the root, the causal root, then everything around it gets better. So part of what we do energetically is we, we do muscle testing, we, we tap into strengths and weaknesses, glands and organs, kidneys, gallbladder, liver, spleen, et cetera, heart. And as we check those organ systems, those glandular systems, we measure them energetically from one to 10. So if, if you look at it this way, you can't do better than a plus 10 energetically. You can't do worse than a minus 10. So any minus numbers are indicative of a problem with an organ system. Like we might find that the heart is a minus three. We need to strengthen that. We might find that the liver is a plus, plus eight. That's good, that's good and strong. So we wanna look at the pluses and minuses as energetic potentials for each major system of the body. The objective is to, to balance them out, to take the weak areas and to strengthen them, take the, the areas that are overly inflamed and too strong and, and tone them down a little bit. So it's about balance. And you talk about the wholeness of everything. Discovering well, the wholeness of everything as everything has, uh, is that what you're talking about? Where every yeah. body is not only connected, but their balance as a whole is what makes the mechanism move forward? That's right. And I think that there's a key here, and that is that separation is an illusion. We tend to think of things as being separate. The organ system being separate, people being separate, countries being separate, everything's separate, separate, separate. And that's just an illusion. That's not true. Everything is interconnected. Everything is 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 connected at deeper levels energetically. And again, the important point there is we had Dr. Werner Heisenberg in 1937 win the Nobel Prize for teaching us that, that everything is 99.9% .9 energy. Everything in the universe is 99.999% energy and 0.001% matter. So we think we're looking at matter. We think we're looking at things in, in, in a material fashion. That's, that must be what the world is all about. It's not what the world is all about. It's an illusion. The world is about energy. I think it's important to tap into the fact that energy can be can be dialogued with, energy can be tapped into, energy can be read, energy can teach us an awful lot about the state of well-being or the lack of well-being of a human body. And um, I know not many people might know about the miracles that have happened in your own life. Can you share a little bit about your own miracle and how you have um, reach this point and then that you've created, you, you've experienced it within your life and now you are also sharing it with the world. Exactly. I mean, I, I was three months into working on the production with, with the producer, the film, and we were working on the film and suddenly I started feeling weak. I started feeling really sickly and I started feeling neurologically challenged. I started feeling strength challenged. I was feeling headachy. I was feeling really pretty bad. So I went and I had some blood tests done, some blood work done, and I found out that I actually had neuroborrelia. I was diagnosed with neuroborrelia, which is actually a form of Lyme disease. So it's a neurologic, it's a neuromuscular Lyme disease. And I wasn't able to walk eventually. I got worse and worse and worse. In the middle of the film, I couldn't even walk. And I actually had an episode where I fell on the bathroom floor and hit, hit my head in the tile floor, and I was paralyzed for two weeks. 
So I went through a paralysis situation and I thought to myself, I made this film about my patient's recoveries. I said, this movie's gonna be, I'm determined to make this movie about my miracle recovery. And I worked really hard spiritually. I worked hard mentally. I worked hard nutritionally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I actually had a complete recovery, but I was, I was very, very sick for a long time. Stunned about the fact that I actually made this film about other patients, other people having remarkable turnarounds. And lo and behold, I had to write about my own, I had to write about and, and tell about my own turnaround. So you were experiencing it um, from a first base experience and putting it in there. Um, Dr. McCauley, no what I hear from you is, um, is there's two components to this concept. One is obviously the state of being of that person, one becoming aware of what's going on with them. And as their awareness shows up um, and, and you as their uh, doctor kind of like, uh, um, facilitates that awareness through the muscle testing and a lot of those. When the person becomes aware of themselves, then through nutrition and um, balancing the different parts of their body through nutrition is what the change and the miracle happens. Is that what I'm understanding appropriately? Yes, but I, I think it goes back to what we, we talked about a little bit earlier. I, I really believe from what I've experienced, and again, the whole purpose of me doing this film and book, The Way of Miracles, is because I've seen and I've taken part in so many miracles, including my own, but um, I've taken part in so many other miracles. And there's this great stories in the, in the film and in the, in the book about a woman who had a tumor the size of a, a large golf ball in her frontal lobe. And she had it surgically removed. Two months later, it grew back. And we, she was determined never to have to go back to surgery again. She couldn't take brain surgery a second time. Just couldn't, couldn't see herself, impossible to do it. Couldn't do it. So she came to me. We worked very hard did her energy testing, did her food testing, put, line up her foods, put on supplements, et cetera, et cetera. We tested everything, tested the supplements, tested, tested the foods for high energy. And lo and behold, in five months, the tumor went away, tumor abated. So she was healed from that tumor and she's been tumor free for nine years. So she tells her story in the film. There's great, great stories like that in the, in the movie, but the key is this. We have to uh, attain to a higher level of awareness, a higher level of consciousness. I think we have to operate at a, super, what I call super conscious level. What super consciousness is, is your highest level of consciousness blended with the universal consciousness. So there is a universal mind, a God mind, a God consciousness. And I think the objective is to tap in and to, to unify, to blend your highest level of consciousness with the divine consciousness that's in the universe. And I think that there's a way to blend the two. There's a way to, to connect. It's a matter of having the awareness and the intention and the commitment the manifest, to, 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 to merge, to bond your, your highest level of awareness with, with the universal consciousness. I truly believe we can actually advance ourselves spiritually that way and, and put ourselves in position to make remarkable, miraculous type changes and recoveries. And how do we do that? And is that part of the book? It's a big part of the book, absolutely. And, and it tells, in each the, at the end of each chapter, it has exercises for, for the, the reader to actually focus on establishing and strengthening their super conscious mind so they can access miracles. Um, there's one, there's one really good exercise in there. And it's, it's, it's called seeing yourself. It's like you're, you're looking in the mirror and you're looking in the, in the, the core of your eyes, your own, you know, you're used to looking at everybody else's eyes when you work with people all day long, you're meeting people, you're loving people and connecting with people. And you look in their eyes when you connect with them. But how many people really look in their own eyes and really take time, 10 minutes to look in your eyes 
and to really see what's in there and to really feel what's in there and to really make the connection at a deep spiritual level. And there's an exercise that, that takes the reader through that process. And I believe it's a huge, it's a huge uh, transformational lift that, that you get when you do that. Just looking at your, at your the, the core of yourself and then the source, the soul within, you, within the core of you, your eyes. And I think that's really important. There's exercises after every chapter though. And the exercises support someone to get connected, not only with their own um, super consciousness, but to blend and merge um, and have access to the higher consciousness that are there. And what I hear from you is that the accessing and merging um, allows the person, is that part of the healing or is that allowing the person to access more consciousness and awareness about who they are and their body and what their body needs and uh, how to balance their body. Is that where it shows up as? Well, I think, I think it's, it's like this. There's different levels of energy. I think, you know, the, the highest level of energy that we can attain to, that we can develop, that we can produce is when we're, at, when we're operating, emanating, I should say, from our source, from our soul. So in other words, when you emanate from your ego, you're not going to produce a lot of energy. When you emanate from, not, not, you're not going to produce a high level of healing energy. You operate from your, your deeper core, your emotional self, you're going to get more commitment. If you operate from your soul, you have the most powerful connection to, to your available energy. And I think that's, that's when you're capable of tapping into miracles, making miracles, and making remarkable transformational turnarounds. So I think it, it's a healing process when you do that. I think by, 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 by channeling your source self, your, your soul, you're, you're actually putting yourself in a frequency, a vibrational frequency that has the capacity to produce miracle results. So that, that's where our healing comes from. I think when we're operating at our, our higher self, that's where, that's where healing happens. Now, if there's a distinction uh, between the ego self or the emotional self or the uh, higher consciousness self, um, how would you guide us to know the distinction between them? How do we know the difference between them as we become aware or as we watch ourselves experience and become aware? Can you guide us in telling, okay, oh, you experienced this, this is your ego self, this one is your emotional self, and this one, if you recognize it as your divine self? Yeah, I think that when we're operating out of ego, we're emanating from ego, there tends to be more confusion. There tends to be more anxiety. There tends to be more depression. There tends to be more confusion. There tends to be more emotional disturbance. There tends to be more dysfunctional thought, dysfunctional tendencies, I guess I'd say. But I think we're operating from the higher self, from the soul, from the source. There's only, there's, there's only flow there. There's no resistance. I think that the two doors that I refer to in the book is flow versus resistance. And I think when we're not there, we're, we're experiencing resistance. And resistance produces anxiety, depression, et cetera. But flow in the, in the higher state, flow is actually producing more, more smooth energy, more, less anxiety, more calmness, more peace, more focus, more inner strength, more commitment to... Um, self-empowerment, self I guess I'd say. So the good word is self-empowerment. So I think you feel more, more power. You know, there's a great book written by, um, I can't think of his name. There's a book called Power Versus Force. 
David, David, David Hawkins, Power Versus Force. And in that book, he distinguishes the difference between power and force. And power is anxiety, it's depression, it's, 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 and for, force rather, force is dep depression, anxiety. Power is, is flow, it's natural. And I guess the way I'd put it is the power that we have is very much in the state of flow at a soul level. It's smooth. It's not, it's not, it's not anxious. It's not depression. It's confidence. It's comfort. It's, it's consistency. It's a flowing pattern of great energy as opposed to the force that we have with tension, anxiety, depression, and kind of helter-skelter thinking. Yeah, so the force usually shows up from uh, what you call the ego self, and then the power is where you are connected to uh, your divine self, in a sense, and yeah. you're flowing with the energy. Exactly, exactly right. You also talk about the profound truth of the association between death and victory. Um, it was the kind of awakening for you. Can you share a little bit about that and how can view of our life um, um, create healing for us? Well, as I said earlier, separation is an illusion, in my opinion. I was thinking of the Tai Chi circle, the beautiful Tai Chi circle, the yin and yang sign. Actually, the, the, the book and the movie actually have covers. There's a Tai Chi circle in the front of the cover. And it's, it's basically connecting us with the notion that there's a dark circle with a light around it and there's a light circle with darkness around it. They both make up the whole. So you've got two extremely different variables. You've got yin and yang that are so different. They're extremely different. But there's a mutual, mutual compatibility to their opposition. So the idea that you, you have an integral connection to these, these opposites is really important. So I think that life is what we think about in this culture as being exclusively unto itself as being beautiful. And life is beautiful, but, but death is no less beautiful. Life and death are part of the Tai Chi circle, the yin and yang. They, they, they go together. I think we tend in this culture to look at, again, the material concept that all that matters is the, the, the yang factor, you know, the light, the, the, to, to have abundance, abundance of life, abundance of, of um, wellness, abundance of prosperity and abundance. You know, those are all great things, but they don't separate from the idea that, I don't think they should be separated from the, the idea that death and darkness and the opposite side of that picture actually provides us with wholeness. That's the beautiful part about it. So when you start to think about how you can integrate wholeness and understand wholeness, you can get a better idea about the integrational prospect for for making your life more whole. So I think that you know death is something that it really that it really isn't. I mean, life goes on and on and on. There's no end to life. There's you know best way to put it is Einstein. Einstein said, and um, um, energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only transmuted. So energy, which is what we are. I mean, we're, we're clearly energy. At the very least, we're energy. So energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only transmuted. So it, it, it doesn't begin, it doesn't end. It just changes. It changes its form. So energy is changing its properties. So I think when we, when we think we die, we're changing our properties. We're becoming more etheric. We're becoming more subtle energy at that point, spirit. And I think that, that that doesn't mean anything less of us. That doesn't mean that there, there, that doesn't mean we should be ashamed of dying. It doesn't mean that we should be negative about death. It doesn't mean that we should be 
misunderstanding of the process of losing. We're not losing anything. We're gaining a new form. We're gaining a new presence. We're gaining a new concentration of, of electromagnetic energy. And we're getting a new presentation of self. So I think that we're, we're, we're in need of understanding, in my opinion, that death actually has a way of liberating us, empowering us, and that victory over death is a conceptual thing. It's, it's, a, it's a consciousness. And I think that we need to celebrate the wholeness of life. And wouldn't we still have to go through a grieving process of an, an acceptance of letting go of this form, regardless of whether it's transitioned to another form? And I think the, the what you call the, the ego self still has to go through some uh, emotional um, emotional releasing of what this form is anyway. But I'm also hearing that when there is a possibility of thinking that is not the end, but it's an end of one form, and then you can you know kind of like fantasize or because uh, you have no idea what the other forms are. It's more of an um, of an envisioning can't even envision it is more like a conceptual concept that you will you know some parts of you will not end while other parts of you are ending and um, and then you can uh, ease yourself into the experience of completing with one form the same way for example we complete with our childhood we complete you know with our young adulthood or we complete going to high school or uh, any phase of life, it's all—it's the same as okay. I'm going to complete with this phase of life, which is in this form of body, for example, with this person named Pujan, and then you know we'll shift into whatever else that is coming. Is that what I'm hearing? Sure, sure. But but again, I think we we have to um, embrace the reality that we're we're part matter-based, we're part material, we're part we're part uh, physical. So I think that the part of us that's mortal, the part of us that's material, the part of us that's physical, has to be allowed its grieving process. It has to be, it has to be understood as being inclined to grieve, needing to grieve. And, and I think that we, we do that. I think that the important part is that we incorporate our willingness to accept grievance for our loss of self at the same time, we need to emphasize a greater celebrational energy about the, the rebirthing of our spirit, the re-manifestation, the reconfiguration of self in, into a spirit, spirit realm, into the higher realm. So I think that they both go together beautifully. Like I said, the, the duality, the wholeness is beautiful in my opinion. So to, to, to grieve my loss is is half the equation. The other half the equation is to celebrate my transubstantiation. Um, you talk about in your book um, about what blocks people. You've worked with people all over the world for 37 years. What do you see on, um, you know, across cultures, across um, gender, cross all of it. What do you see as the main point that people uh, attempt to get, uh, let's say, separated or block? I think that for the most part, people are changing. I think they're starting to shift a little bit. I think that they've been through a lot of suffering, 
planetarily speaking. And I think that when people go through suffering, they grow, they transform because they have to. I mean, to some extent, the only natural recovery that we can invoke our, our, by ourselves is transformation, is by becoming wiser, becoming having greater wisdom about what just happened to us and where, where is it all going to lead to and, and what does it mean? So I think the answers are always beautiful. I think the answers are always very calming, very healing. The answers are all empowering. I think for us to be calm, empowered, to have a, a higher conceptualization about the whole, the whole picture, the fact that we've been through hell the past year and a half or so, the whole planet has, but that that, that it doesn't it's not meant to stay that way, you know. And that part of the equation is the darkness of what we just been through, but the other half of the equation that's inseparable is the light that's springing forth from it. So I think people are are wiser than they've ever been. I think people are be becoming more spiritually imbued. I think that it's important to think in terms of um, uh, the natural the natural result of pain and suffering is enlightenment. And I think that there's there's more enlightenment now going on than there ever has been. And I think it's because of the pain and suffering we've been through. They, they go together. But I think the most common thing that people block, I guess I'd say, is emotion. I think for the most part, people have a lot of strong emotional energy in them with deep in themselves that's potentially dysfunctionalizing. It can be anger, it can be fear, it can be sadness, it can be anxiety. But the, the energy, the, the depth of their, those potential emotions of so many people, again, who's gone through a lot, um, it is very deep and very intense. And I think that people block their emotions a lot because they feel that it's easier not to talk about it, not to deal with it, just override it. Now let's go have a couple drinks. Or let's just kind of forget about it and let's just have fun. You know, So I think that Back to what I said a few minutes ago, when we when we begin to embrace the prospect of wholeness, we'll get a little more comfortable with not having to block everything that's unpleasant. Well, it will, it will allow it to flow better and to, and to get more in touch with it and not get as overwhelmed by it. Keep something in mind. The more you block emotion, the more the emotion will, will bother you. The more the emotion will hurt you. The more the emotion will become a powerful force within you that, that actually governs your actions. So I think the more familiar we get with emotion, the more comfortable we get with it, even though it's not easy to do, the, the, we work at it. And I think the more we work at embracing emotion and stop blocking emotion, letting it flow, the better our, our peace, the better our transformational shift into peace becomes. Does any of the um, nutritional, um, let me say it another way, would our eating habits also produce emotions? And would changing the nutritional aspects of our body, uh, would that also support these type of opening and letting go and not even manufacturing some of those emotions? I think food, food plays a part on both ends of the, the emotional process. I think when we feel pain and suffering like we have, like so many of us have over the past couple of years, that we're more inclined to give into food that's fun. 
So it's an easier it's an easier reach for me if, if I'm thinking about sugar and ice cream and stuff like that. If I'm not feeling good, I can get a quick alcohol. fix. Alcohol. Alcohol, absolutely true, no question. So I mean, I, that can make me forget about my pain and suffering at least momentarily. So it's an instant gratification and it's temporarily supportive of my feeling good prospect. But I, but I also think that the more of that that happens, the more repression we deal with, the more repression we deal with, the, the more intensive the hurt gets. So again, it's, food distracts us, alcohol distracts us. I think it's really important that we, we get over the distraction, we make a commitment to getting in touch with the conscious process of hiding from our pain with, with pleasure. And I think we need to kind of be willing to correct that, to, to, bring, to allow the pain a place in our life to teach us, to evolve us, to transform us. So I think when we embrace wholeness, including the, the, the suffering and the pain, I think we, we, we get much stronger, we get much clearer, much more self-empowered. I think we, we get much more healthy, the reason, body, mind, and spirit. The reason I ask that is because I've talked to a lot of people who go through detoxing uh, retreats and they do, uh, even if they do a lot of detoxing at home, um, and there've been times that I've worked with psychiatrists who work uh, with a person in cleaning and detoxing their body from some of the medications that they're on, or you know, uh, whether they were around uh, toxins such as mold or other pieces. And I've heard people after detoxing that they also state or experience a lot of emotional release, emotional lightness, like a lot of the rage or anger or uncomfortableness, um, that was there, like, you know, like a constant annoyance and frustration that was always there and would bring their patients really low. So life issues, as they happened to them, they had no tolerance of it. Somehow it appears that their experiences that that's kind of lifted off. So that's why I was also asking whether in your work um, uh, with the, the quantum energy work that you do and the nutritional work, have you also experienced something like that with your patients? Well, we keep, we have to keep in mind that the, the the body, the cells, the neurological cells actually have memory. There's a memory. So there's a memory capacity with cells that actually remembers. Like, there's an interesting study I saw years ago about people who were um, reacting neurologically to colors red, blue, yellow, green, orange, et cetera. And they're actually able to correlate the time that they were uh, abused, abandoned, uh, attacked, when somebody was wearing a red shirt or a blue shirt or a yellow shirt. And in their subconscious mind, the memory of that color was retained in their subconscious patterning. So little, little do they know that every time they saw that, that color or shirt, their blood pressure went up a couple points because of the memory of their subconscious mind. So the, the key is this. The subconscious remembers everything. The unconscious mind remembers everything but actually, actually blocks it. So we have within our consciousness the capacity to remember pain and suffering associated with, with colors, with sounds, with tones, with weather, with the, the way the day was, and they, when they were abused, it was snowing, and, they, and every time it snows, they, they have a reaction to it. So, I mean, our mind is so deep, it's so 
it's so perceptive at so many different levels. And it's so neurologically tied into everything that we do physiologically that, that we're changing constantly based on a lot of ex experiences that we've encountered in our lives. And virtually everything that we encounter has an effect on us. We're not always clear about what that effect is, but we're extremely perceptive beings. We're remarkably perceptive and we're, we're capable of processing. I mean, just think about your conscious mind. Your conscious mind can process 2000 bits of information per second, 2000 bits of information per second. Your, your subconscious mind, 400 billion per second, 400 billion bits of information per second. So, I mean, like in theory, if, if I took a drive from here to New York, two and a half hour, three hour drive, I would, I, my subconscious mind would remember every license plate, every tree, every leaf, remember everything. So we can't always recall that. And a lot of it we block. But the point is we have such an articulate capacity in our mind to heal or to make ourselves sick either way. We have to have control of our mind. We have to have control of our energy. We have to have control of the energy of our mind in order to, to basically heal, to make a difference, I think, you know, like you talk about detoxification. I mean, detoxification produces a lot of energetic emotional response, as you point out, and you're absolutely right about that. So, I mean, think about mercury, methylmercury. I mean, a lot of people have mercury fillings and their, dent their dentists put mercury fillings in there. They're toxically loaded with mercury, mercury, mercury vapors in their brain and their body. We've, we've had a lot of people like that. We've chelated, pulled the, pulled the mercury out and, my God, their symptoms are just so incredible. They go through such a detoxificational symptom reprisal, symptomatic reprisal. It's incredible. Because I say the highway in the body is the same as the highway out. So whether you're taking poison in or taking poison out, you're activating the same pathway. So a lot of the toxicity that we take in and take out of the body when we detoxify kind of drives up emotional response. No question about it. Thank you. Lastly, I want to ask you about intention. In your book, you say that intention is an important part of this miracle making. Tell us how. Well, I say there's four components to miracle when, when it comes to miracles. Number one, we can reject the, the, the reject the possibility of miracles. Number two, we can actually accept. Number three, we can expect. Number four, we can create. So reject, accept, expect and create. So I think when we have manifestation, when we're manifesting an intention, we're moving more into the realm of creating. And I think creating is the key to making miracles. You, you can't make miracles. You, you're not going to know that you're encountering a miracle if you reject them altogether. So we forget rejection. That's just not going to make it happen for you at all. Number two, accepting the fact. Accepting is a beginning, but it's not there's not a lot of energy associated with accepting. Number three, expecting. There's a little bit of manifest that starts to, starts to kick in there. So a little bit of manifest when it comes to expecting miracles. But it's not really until we get into the fourth possibility, which is making miracles, that we manifest them. Manifesting is important to establish our certitude, to establish our, our energy, our commitment, our ability to make things happen, our ability to change the course of fate for ourselves. I think we have the power to change the course of fate. I think we have to be clear about our intention and I think we need to make, make sure that our manifest is determined to make it happen. That's, that's when we're using our own volition, our own power 
and rolling up our sleeves and making it happen. Beautiful. Um, last minute, is there anything that we haven't talked about um, already about your book and you really want our audience to know? Yeah, I think both the book and the film. I mean, I mentioned it briefly about the woman who had the tumor, but there's some amazing stories. There's a gentleman who was diagnosed with Parkinson's. We had to carry him in the office. I mean, he couldn't, he, he was shaking like a leaf. He couldn't, couldn't function, couldn't get into the chair, couldn't come through the door. And we worked on him pretty extensively for the better part of a month. He's running three miles a day now. I mean, that's a great story. And then there's a woman who actually was in her thirties who was told that she'd never have children. She and her husband were, were absolutely dying to have kids. That was the most important thing in the world. They wanted to have a family. They were just so distraught, so absolutely distraught. And she went to the world's finest fertility physicians in some of the finest hospitals in the greater Boston area. And there's some pretty powerful hospitals around here. But they told her there's no way. We've, we've been through everything. We've taken you through all the tests. It's not going to happen. We're sorry. You need to just go home and make your peace. You're not going to be a parent. She's got three children right now. Yes, I saw Three. It. Not one, not two, but three. So, I mean, that's an exciting thing. And I think that um, the key that I'd like to share with your audience is that miracles are possible. Your miracles await you. And the book and the, and the stories that we've been through and, and, the, and the book and then the film both make it pretty pretty clear that you have the power to make miracles. You're, you're, you came to create miracles. Don't shortchange yourself. Get your manifesting gear. Get your power over your force and make it happen. And the book is called The Way of Miracles. The film is the same thing called The Way of Miracles. People can actually watch the film if they go to thewayofmiracles.com, thewayofmiracles.com. Or you can actually go to amazon.com for the book. Wonderful. Everyone, Dr. Mark Mincola, please get the book, um, The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Superconsciousness, and uh, go to either markmincola.com or um, thewayofmiracles.com and uh, have the chance to also watch uh, the movie. And uh, it, it's, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time and being on my show. Pujan Zane, you did a beautiful interview. I appreciate your help and thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And uh, for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye. -bye.